Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. has one it's all your fault that's not fair as moms we've all heard these dramatic declarations on occasion often at full volume and packaged in tears but while in their immaturity kids can be prone to selfishness i think if it's left unchecked these self-seeking desires can morph into an unholy trinity of me myself and i Today, Kate, September, and I want to chat about curbing this self-epidemic prevalent in our culture, in both adults and kids alike, to be honest. Some folks would call this a me-first attitude. Others would say privileged. Some might even say spoiled. But for the sake of our conversation, we're going to use the word entitled. So with that in mind, ladies, I want to hear from you. What does the word entitled mean? To you. Boy, Jamie, this is a great conversation to have because I think this is is really prevalent in our culture right now. I to me, it just means, like you said, the world revolves around me. It's all about me. Now, I don't think it has to do with whether you're wealthy or living in poverty. I really think it's it's just that attitude that my wants, my needs are more important than yours. I deserve good things. I don't want to hear no. I'm unsatisfied with life when I don't get what I'm convinced I deserve. I can sum it up with this phrase. I want what I want when I want it. Hmm. You know, I just see that all over the place. My husband was saying today, the culture is raising snowflakes. You think about Israel. When they turn 18, every child in Israel, unless they're disabled or can't, goes to the IDF and becomes it joins the military for two years. Imagine if they did that in this country. I mean, that kind of service imbues those values our young people desperately need. Economically, so many kids are forced to move back in with their parents. In this generation, that wasn't how it was when we were being raised. You know, the phrase adult adolescence, you see a lot of that. And I just look at the workforce. I was seeing somebody on Instagram that worked at Twitter, I think before Elon Musk cleared everything up. But They have a massage room, they have a meditation room, they have free meals, they have all this stuff for these young people that they think they deserve. They come to believe, well, this is what I should have. And it is just so unlike, we know, the real, I don't know, expectations of society. So it's just, it's it's one of those words that's kind of a hot button for me because I just see it everywhere. Hmm. How about you, September? How would you define entitlement? Well, I don't know how I would define it, but I know what it makes me feel like when I observe it. And I know what it makes me feel like when I realize that I'm acting entitled or thinking entitled, which basically for me would be feeling as if I'm owed something or expectant of something that I really don't or shouldn't be and I don't need to be. Mm. Um, so to me, it's an attitude of expectancy and it can be sneaky. I don't think it's always blaring, blaring and ugly. I, I say entitlement is so ugly. It actually makes my skin crawl. But then sometimes I find it in myself, like in my relationships. And so I think it's a sneaky thing. I like that word you used, expectancy. 
I I brought this topic up at the dinner table the other night because I was just curious what my kids would would define entitlement and see if you know they could see any entitlement in their own selves based on their own definition of what it was. And one of my sons, even before we started the conversation, said, Mom, I think everybody in America is entitled because we just live in a culture that is affluent. You know, even even the most poor among us would still be considered in, you know, I think I read like the top 3% of those in the world. So in some ways, and I don't mean to be anti, sound anti-American, that's not it at all. But I think that we would be lying to ourselves if we did not admit at times it's easy for us to all of us to act entitled because in fact we kind of are um i guess my easy cliff notes definition would just be like a malignant form of self-love really Mm -hmm. yeah that's good um it's cancerous that's good you know jamie what you're saying about around the world i i know a, a group that have just brought in this family from south sudan they were saving them from a bad situation and I'm watching some of their video. These kids have never had ice cream. They've never had anything cold because they live in such a hot climate and terrible poverty. And I think that, you know, we think, well, I deserve that in air conditioning. You know, the things that we just are part of our lives that we don't even realize so many millions of people in, in the world don't have access to. So I can see why that's easy. September, like you said, it's sneaky to think, well, I deserve a nice house and a and we we really don't. I mean, if you really look at scripture, which I know we'll get to, we do not deserve it. Yeah. But we're blessed when the Lord gives that to us. My husband's boss had a a foreign exchange student come and live with them for a while. And he was, I want to say from Zimbabwe. I, I could be completely wrong there. So um, I apologize if I am. But she was telling me when he arrived here in Minnesota, she took him to the grocery store because she wanted to have food that he liked and he was comfortable with and kind of a taste of home. And he just stood stock still in the middle of the aisle and said, you have an entire aisle for cereal? And that's really compelling. That statement is very compelling to me to like, I just take that for granted. But I know that that is not the norm in most places around the world. What are some of the outward and maybe inward symptoms? We've mentioned a few, but what are some of those warning signs of entitlement? Specifically, I'm thinking about in kids, but um, either that you've seen in your own kids or other people's kids, or maybe even if you remember back um, when you were a child, what are some of those um, warning signs to look for? Well, when kids are little, I mean, they really are the center of attention, right? You've got a little toddler, everything you know, we're, we're making them the center of attention because they're so cute. Look at them walk. All those things, they have a lot more needs than they do as they get older. So, and they, but they start to believe life really does revolve around them. And as they grow, they do not want to hear the word no. How many of you, you, you girls have had lots of kids that have been two or three years old. You know that that's, I see it in my grandkids. No, they don't want to do what, what you're telling them to do. Because again, they want what they want when they want it. And I, I see with older kids, a lot of times they don't want to pitch in to help. They don't want to do chores around the house. They want to sit down at the dinner table, eat what they want. You know, so many families, they're making separate special meals for kids. Now, if you have an, you know, an allergy or something like that, it's a different story. But so often, oh, well, she doesn't like that. So we can't give that to her rather than this is the food that's in front of you. Like when I was a child and raising our daughter, it, she ate what we were eating. I mean, that, you didn't even think about that. And I think there's that 
deep selfishness manifesting today, especially as that need for constant entertainment. Kids are on their phone, they're playing video games, they're on Instagram, they spend hours, something like nine or 10 hours that kids can spend on their, you know, on their different devices. So, but I think that this comes from the home, from the parenting style. I don't believe that a sense of entitlement is necessarily hereditary, but it's more what they're seeing in their families. If their parents are gossiping, they're going to gossip. If their parents are thinking, well, I deserve more than this, I should have a nicer car, whatever, they're going to begin to think that way. So I think, you know, we have to have higher expectations for our kids. We have to expect you're going to do certain things. You're going to help out. You're going to obey. It's hard, I think, for us as parents to to get our kids to obey because I, I know I learned this early on. I don't want to be my child's best friend. Not initially. We have to parent them. We have to raise them to obey, to do what we're expecting them to do. Are they speaking kindly to each other? No. Are they just speaking in a nice way that is kind rather than, you know, making fun of their siblings or whatever. So some things like that. And I I recognize sometimes there might be more going on in a family than we realize. So it's easy to judge and go, well, their kids are such brats or they're whatever. We may not know the backstory of what's going on. So we we do need to be careful that we don't judge and we can pray for them, but also learn lessons from what we're seeing in their behavior. So those are some of the things and September, I want to get to you, but you, you said something, Kate, and I'd love to unpack this in a little bit, this idea of nurture versus nature, because you're indicating you think it is a oftentimes nurtured thing from a parent. And I do wholeheartedly believe that, but I wonder if it's a both and, because, you know, if you look all the way back in the garden, that's really what Eve had was a sense of entitlement that she wanted to be like God. I really think that in, in part, just because we're human and we're fallen, we are born, that's the that's the nature part, with this sense of entitlement. That doesn't give us license to act entitled, mind you, but it's something that we will have to combat um, with the Holy Spirit's help probably for the rest of our lives, because that's just ingrained in us. I was thinking that as I was answering this, because it, it's part of our fallen nature, and that's pretty clear. But yeah, you're right. We have to, we do battle it. We all do. It's just one of those lifelong things that we have to fight against. How about you, September? Can you think of any that Kate did not touch on that you would say are, you know, part and parcel symptoms of entitlement? Hmm. You know, I agree with everything Kate said. And I was actually thinking through and I was going to share some of those things. But as she was talking, I was thinking actually of more things that I've observed in my youngest three because, you know, we're from a big family. So I have, I've always had 10 kids. My first six kids were very in tune with the idea of teamwork or ownership and responsibility. They were used to noise and didn't never, they never really had a lot of personal space or quiet time. Um, and now with my three youngest, you know, you would never know when you came to my house that no one's, that anyone is home, which you'd walk in my door, you'd be like, hello. Because there's so much quiet space, believe it or not, with three teen girls, because they just go do their thing. They listen to their, you know, their books online and their AirPods, or they're practicing guitar in their room, or they have a little corner that they've chosen to cozy up and read books. And I've just observed recently that when it's noisy 
and they move, there's a little of an attitude or they're inconvenienced and told, you know, your dad and I want to sit in the living room, please go to your room and do something. So it's really an interesting thing to see entitlement of space and quiet and the emotional personalities that come out and the entitlement of thinking, well, why can't I just be in this room? You have to come in here now. And it turns into a conflict. And it, and it actually has been in, my oldest six kids never had that. And it just is very, been a very interesting for me to see. So I would say entitlement can come in very many ways, not just like physical poss- possessions, but even jobs, you know, like when, and this is a big one. And I think a lot of families, moms listening will be able to kind of resonate with this. When we all split up jobs, let's say in our homes, and then everyone does their thing, but there's this one area where there's something still there. So I'm like, great, you guys did your jobs, but did you walk past this pile of books on the steps? Why didn't you pick that up? Well, that wasn't my job. Mm. Well, that wasn't my job. I'm like, well, whose job is it then? Like, why would you not do that? Well, why should I have to? So it's been very interesting to observe the different seasons, the um, family dynamics and things that can kind of bring out entitlement. And those are some new things that I've observed. I completely echo all of that, September, and I only have five kids, but I do sense a difference in my younger two who had older siblings who kind of did everything for them as they were growing up. They had additional parents, if you will. And so now that work ethic is something that we really have to work on versus with my older two or three, it it wasn't such a difficult chore to get them to do chores. Um, So I think personality often does play into it as well. Some of the things that I was thinking of um, have less to do with stuff or ownership of things and more to do with like time and attention. I think some kids who are entitled demand a lot more attention. Um, They want the time. They insist on everything being fair. I think that is a really red flag for me when a child wants everything to be fair because they want everything to be equal. They feel like they are owed that. When they want or demand the credit for something like, no, I did that or that's my thing or that was my idea. Um, Wanting to be involved in, you know, a million extracurricular activities because, of course, mom is going to taxi me around. What else does she have to do with her day? You know, um, mom's time is my time. I think a child who deflects the blame on others often and doesn't want to take the credit or the fault, I should say, um, doesn't want to apologize, has no sense of guilt when they do wrong. Kids who lack a sense of service or a desire, like you were saying, September, you know, like, that's not my job. Um, They don't want to go the extra mile and just serve out of a heart of compassion and empathy and love. Um, I think kids who are entitled, well, adults, too, they often use manipulation to get their way. They sometimes can um, exhibit extreme self-loathing but for attention-getting reasons. Like they want the attention, so they will often self-loathe in really big, grandiose ways, but it's more like they just want attention. 
And then lastly, I was thinking of um, when kids really struggle to celebrate other people's success. You know, scripture says rejoice with those who rejoice. But um, the kid who, you know, demands to open a birthday present at someone else's party, or I've even had um, heard from moms who say, can I bring over a gift so that my child can open it so that they don't feel left out when your child is opening gifts at his birthday, you know, those types of things. Has all our talk here over the years about homeschooling piqued your interest in it? Are you just starting out? Are you looking for some mentorship, a group of like-minded parents to come alongside you for encouragement? If so, it sounds like Classical Conversations is just what you've been looking for. Classical Conversations can help you lead your child to a world of possibilities by equipping you with a proven curriculum and support from a local community of homeschool families. You are their first teacher. Now be their best teacher. Learn how to make homeschooling doable at classicalconversations.com slash mom to mom. That's classicalconversations.com slash M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M. According to social analysts, because I was born in 1979 at the tail end of Gen X and just before the millennials hit the scene, I'm a zenial. Those quote-unquote experts have declared that I'm a member of a micro-generation of folks who grew up with an analog childhood and a digital young adulthood. In other words, I was the last line of no-tech or low-tech kids. Looking back, I can appreciate what a gift my screen-free childhood really was, and although I know in the present moment, providing a no-tech childhood or adolescence for my kids is probably wishful thinking, I do want to preserve as much of that kind of innocence as possible for them. That's why I'm so grateful for the Gab phone. With two teen drivers and another one just months away from getting behind the wheel, I appreciate the safety that a cell phone can provide, Then again, I also know that a smartphone nurtures a whole other batch of unsafe scenarios. With the Gab phone, however, I can have peace of mind knowing that my tweens and teens can call or text me whenever they need to, and that I can call or text them back. But that's it. Because the Gab phone looks and feels like a smartphone but isn't connected to the internet in any way, I don't have to worry about cyberbullies, predators, or the shady back alleys of social media. In that way, my kids can have a childhood similar to my own, digital when necessary, but analog for everything else. To learn more or to snag a Gab phone or watch for your tweener teen, head to gabwireless.com and use promo code MOMTOMOM at checkout. That's gabwireless.com, promo code M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M at checkout. What about um, the gospel implications? Kate, um, We, you and I touched on it a little bit, but are there gospel implications to this idea of entitlement? Oh, I think definitely. There are so many scriptures about humility in the Bible, about taking the lower place, letting someone else go first, being quick to forgive, being satisfied with the life that God has given us. I think it can create a lot of vanity being that that sense of entitlement, especially, I mean, look at Instagram. You see so much self-promotion on there, so much, look at me, look at me, very little humility in, in many, many people that are on there. But 
One of my favorite scriptures, I would say my one of my life scriptures is Psalm 16, especially verses five and six. And it says, oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And if we can say that, whatever our lot is, whatever God, what those boundary lines he's put around us, and to be able to say, God, you chose this, this is a good thing. It doesn't mean it can't change, but it's just to, to accept that. And, and I think whatever our lot is in life, God is taking care of it. He's our portion. He's the one who determines the boundaries of our lives. And I think to be dissatisfied all the time, and it's hard when you've been praying and praying and praying, God, why aren't you answering this prayer? I dealt with that with years of infertility. You're supposed to be a good God. You're not giving me what I want. And it wasn't until I really learned to love God for who he is, not what he gives. And if he doesn't give me another thing in my life, he's still enough. That Mm. took a long time for me to get to that point. But I don't know. I think being dissatisfied with everything is just prideful and self-serving. You know, we just have to go, God, you're good. And you've given me, you've given me what you've given me for whatever reason you've given it to me. And I have to be content with that and do what I can to make my life living proof of the gospel. And those are hard words for, you know, full-grown adults to swallow better yet, trying to, trying to, um, teach that or model that to kids. And we'll talk about some ways to do that in a minute, but September, do you have any thoughts on the gospel implications of just a few thoughts real quickly? You know, if anyone was entitled to anything, wouldn't it have been Jesus, but he Mm. gave up, he gave up that right. Um, And for us to think that we're entitled is actually exalting ourselves above him. Um, Philippians two, three through eight says, do nothing out of self selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others and it goes on um even further into verses um six through eight but i feel like that the gospel implications for entitlement seen in christians and families and children can actually turn people away from the gospel You know, I mean, I think if someone were to see a selfish family grumbling, not being kind, they would doubt the true sincerity and the power of the gospel in their lives. And so, you know, when we're teaching our children um, all of these things that we we cover every day in a day, it's really important for us to remember to bring them back to gratitude uh, Mm -hmm. in most everything. Yeah. I think for those of us who maybe don't even buy into the idea of the prosperity gospel, it is really easy to slip into entitlement because we are promised this lavish in eternal inheritance. So it would be real easy for us to say, oh, that's mine. But we have to remember that while it is a right of ours by sonship, that right or that inheritance wasn't earned by us. We don't deserve mm-hmm. it. Um, Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God and all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And as a parent, if we're not helping our children to see their just absolute depravity apart from God, we're actually denying them the very opportunity to see their need for him. Um, I think not only that, when we're cultivating in them a love for others who may 
maybe in their own estimation, may not deserve, quote unquote, salvation as much as, you know, our kids do. The child who has done them wrong, maybe, or the adult who's hurt them physically or emotionally, or the burglar who came in and broke into your house and stole their precious things. We need to cultivate a sense in our kids that, you know, we don't deserve salvation. Those other people don't deserve salvation any more than us. But apart from Christ's redemptive work, we're no better than them. So basically, we have no right to demand anything above whatever God decides to give us. I think, Jamie, that really speaks to a hard subject. I I try to write about this a lot, but death to self, we don't want to talk about that in this culture. We don't want to say, I have to deny myself and pick up my cross. It's that thinking I have a right to have rights. I really don't. I have no right to anything. Anything I have comes from the Lord. And being able to lay down my sense of my rights that I deserve this. It's a hard thing. It's hard for all of us. Like you said, September, it can be sneaky. It can just creep up on you like, I'm letting that in again. So I think if we can, I mean, some of those scriptures that, that Jesus said are hard. You know, he said the way is narrow and few find it. And we don't want to hear that. Uh, I want to, I want to be one of the few, but I don't really want to have to do the work that it entails, the inner work to bring that to pass. You know what I mean? So if it's hard for us, it's especially hard for our kids who, with their immaturity and just their naturally selfish nature because they're, they are children and do demand a lot of care and time and attention. So what are some particular practices that you have employed, maybe another mom can employ to curb this entitlement in, in the home? Yeah. Well, it's been a while since my daughter was at home, but I mean, I remember she had responsibilities. She was expected to pitch in to do whatever chores that we'd assigned to her to be obedient, to make good use of her time. I mean, I think today it's a lot harder because of social media. Back in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, that didn't exist. So there was, you didn't have that constant distraction. You know, kids would go in their room and read their books. Today it's they're on Instagram or they're on TikTok or one of those things. And it makes it harder to parent. Uh, You're competing constantly with all those online voices, telling them you're the hero of your own story. You deserve the life that you want to live. You can design your future. I'm like, well, not if you're following God. You really can't do that. And they they don't believe that, that they should ever have to fail. And we all know that failure is probably one of the best teachers in life because it makes you realize you can't always have it your way. I'm glad you mentioned those words, Kate, because I think our culture, there's these pervasive messages and they're really sneaky because they sound so good, you know, and and especially as a mom of a, a daughter, you know, to to see her reading something that might say, you know, you can be the hero of your own story or you're such a brave girl. They all sound great. But what it boils down to, if you distill it down to his absolute bare bones what it is, is I can be like God. And that's exactly what Eve fell for. All of those messages, they tickle our ears because they sound so good, but really it comes down to this idea of self-love, which really is entitlement. How about you, September? You're right in the thick of it. How are you curbing entitlement at your home? Mm, Well, three questions I ask my kids all the time to help battle their feelings of entitlement. And it actually helps with them and even myself understand 
What is behind my desires and decisions? I think I think it's great to ask kids, kids questions. And so the first question is, what is motivating you or what is motivating me to like act this way, do this, say that, not do this, etc. So what is motivating me? Why do I want to do this? So I ask my kids, well, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to go there? Why do you think that you need to do this? And the third question is, why do I want this item? So I think those three questions really narrow it down. It talks about our actions, our thoughts, our inner desires, all the things that are at the root of entitlement. And the more I engage in these kind of discussions with my kids, the more likely they will actually consider these questions on their own when they're faced with decisions, because the Bible is very clear that our deepest identity is as beloved children of God, which is John 1, 2, and that is more than enough. So I always want my kids to remember, you know, our identity is in Christ. What is it you really need? Why is it you want it? And when they're little, I think the best approaches for this type of thing is to familiarize our children with the word no, to have a non-excessive life. Uh, I can distinctly remember my dad when I was a little girl saying to me, uh, September, I could buy us a pool for the backyard. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a pool before I even say this. Um, I could buy you a pool. I could get you, you know, your own room. I could do all these things. But what if I give you all these things like this year or tomorrow or right away? Would you ever need something again? Will you always expect to have what you want when you want it? And he really kind of narrowed it down for me as a child. And I thought that was, and I never forgot that. So he had the capacity But he familiarized me with needs and wants and thinking of others. And I I felt like that was a really good practical thing. I mean, I obviously never forgot it. Yeah. And if you as a parent are fulfilling your child's every need and want, when will they ever learn to rely on Jesus to do that for them? You know, they would have no need to come to him if you are just the genie in the bottle that gives them it all. And I love what you said in September about ask them, do you need it? Why do you need it? Why do you want it? I think we can all take that to heart when we're on Amazon, you know, or or at the store and we're at Target and well, do I really need that? Why do I want it? And do I need it? And I think we probably, me for one, would make a lot wiser purchases. So that's a, that's a great one for us to say to ourselves as well as to your kids. Well, I just have a, just a simple lesson. I'm just going to list them off. If any of these resonate with you, if you're listening, that you think you can Um, Maybe test out the waters at your own home with some of these suggestions. Again, they're a bit prescriptive, but take them to heart in light of biblical principles and um, tweak them to however you might think they would work in your home. Uh, I don't set age limits for privileges because I think that's just a nebulous number. And we've talked about that here on the podcast, but to say, oh, when you are 13, you can X, Y, Z, or when you are 16, you know, even, even so much as when you are 16, you can get a license. That's not an automatic ingrained thing at my house because I want to see that that child is mature enough to handle that. So I don't set age limits to privileges. We don't concentrate on fair gift giving. And that's another thing we've mentioned here on the show, because again, if you're constantly at Christmas trying to buy an equal number of presents at an equal cost for every child and you're nickel and diming everything to make it fair, you're cultivating in them a sense of, oh, it has to be fair or it's not right. And life just isn't fair. You're kind of setting them up for disappointment. 
We don't do a whole lot of toy catalogs, especially at the holiday time when those are sent out in the mail, because, you know, we're just um, nurturing a sense of greed or a sense of covetousness in them for, you know, allowing them to flip through these toy catalogs. They suddenly need something that they didn't even know existed 25 seconds ago. Um, We limit extracurriculars, you know, season by season, because I have five kids in September. I know you can attest to this too. Like I want my kids, I want to cultivate in them some of their own passions and giftings, but I don't sign them up for every little thing under the sun. If you're really interested in something, we'll take it season by season. And we'll, you know, a child can sign up for one thing a season until the end of the season happens. Then, you know, you can't try something else because I'm only one person and I'm not a taxi service. So I can't be driving here, there, and everywhere. I think it's really important not to rescue your kids every time that they fail. They need to feel the weight of their own consequences. Yes, absolutely stand by them when they have to have those consequences, especially as they get older and those consequences are more dire. But do not rescue them when they forget or fail to do something. So for instance, like if your child forgets his lunch at home, you know, are you the mom who's running down to the school to deliver it ASAP so they don't accidentally have to miss lunch that day? Or are you the mom who, you know, the night before school, Sunday night, they're saying, oh, mom, I have a big project due Monday morning. We have to go right now to Walmart and get all these things. Well, why didn't they tell you about it on Friday afternoon? So in that case, I would be like, well, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go to school without this project because that's on you to be responsible for your um, responsibilities. Don't offer a million choices at mealtime. Like Kate was saying, you know, you don't need to be a short order cook apart from, you know, if your child has food allergies, make the meal and expect that everybody in gratitude will eat their fair share. And then absolutely follow through with your consequences, whatever those might be. Otherwise, you're just giving lip service to your priorities or your home culture. You're not actually insisting that your children stick with that culture. Nothing will move the needle quite like consistency when you're talking about building character in your children. Kids who are spoiled aren't usually very pleasant to be around. Would you agree, girls? Mm -hmm. They sometimes struggle to make friends. They sometimes struggle to keep friends. And they often live in a constant state of disappointment. And I think it's sometimes easier to give in to the demands of our kids. And while we can sometimes convince ourselves that in giving in, we're actually being loving. But entitling our kids is actually the very opposite of love. And while it's easy to give in, it will be much harder on the back end of things. It's setting them up for some very unhealthy and even destructive behavior, both now and in the future. And what's more, I think it's giving them a false view of who they are in light of who God says they are. So yes, mama, love your kids well, but resist the urge to make them the center of your universe. 